Well, at this time, we're going to go ahead and turn in our Bibles, if you have one, uh, to Philippians chapter number three. <clears throat> and uh, as, you're as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's word, we're going through a series called uh, Rejoice in the Lord, looking at the book of Philippians verse by verse. And uh, we find ourselves uh, today here in Philippians chapter three, and uh, we're going to read two verses, Philippians three, verses 10 and 11. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10 says, That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And let's pray one more time together. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for your word. I pray you'd use it this morning in our lives to cause us to develop a passion for you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to start this morning by asking this question. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? There are a lot of passions that people have in their lives. Uh, some people, no doubt, here in Oklahoma are passionate about sports particularly football, particularly Oklahoma football, not OSU football. No, people are passionate about sports all over this country. Uh, they're passionate about, some people are passionate about food. Uh, how many of you would call yourself a foodie? Would you raise your hand? Uh, I, I like food, and, uh, and, and since moving here, I've, I've liked it even more. <laughs> There's a lot of great food out here in Oklahoma. Some people are passionate about fashion. Uh, they're passionate about cars. They're passionate about decorating their homes, just so. I'm not one of those, just to let you know. Uh, but some are passionate about video games. Some are passionate about fishing or hunting or surfing. I don't know that there's a lot of people here in Oklahoma that are passionate about surfing, uh, but uh, where I come from in California, there were, there were several who were. Uh, some are passionate about gardening. Here's a good one. Some people are passionate about their families, and that is a healthy passion. And a million other things we could mention today, and, and uh, we spend our time, our energy, and our money on these passions, and while... To be honest, many of these passions are not bad in and of themselves. Unfortunately, it does seem that people spend their days and their lives on everything under the sun, but sadly, very few people are truly passionate about the Son of God. Now, we're instructed in the Scriptures that the greatest passion in our lives should be to know our Lord. Any other passion that is more important than that is in reality an idol. Do you remember what Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, the very first commandment given to Moses that he was to write on those tablets? Uh, not an iPad, by the way. These were actual stone tablets. Uh, Exodus 20 and verse 3 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And it goes on later in a couple of verses later, and he says, I am a jealous God. In the New Testament, Jesus simplified the law and the prophets with these 
words. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Just notice the order here. The order is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then, and then to love our neighbor. I think a lot of us, especially in the realm of family, uh, we begin to place our family in a pedestal or in a place that God doesn't intend. Now, God does want us to love our families. God does want us to be passionate about our, our families when it comes to a marriage relationship. Uh, your, your spouse needs to be the numero uno person here on this earth in your life. And you need to develop and work on that relationship and, and to invest in that relationship. Marriage is important. Our children, oh, how precious gifts our children are when they're sleeping. They are precious gifts, aren't they, though? They're wonderful blessings. But look, we got to be careful. And some people, they put their children above the Lord, to be real honest, to be frank. And you remember the words of Jesus when he said, you know, uh, whoso doesn't hate his brother, his, his, his wife and his sister and his father and mother for my sake. You remember he said that? It wasn't saying that you need to hate your wife, you need to hate your children, you need to hate your parents. No. It was that your love for God, your passion for God needs to be so intense that when someone else, when someone looks at your other relationships, it almost looks in comparison like you hate them. Now, not that you do. It's like when you're dri driving by something really, really fast and, and it almost looks like it's going backwards. Our passion for God needs to be so intense that every other relationship pales in comparison. God desires that we would have, uh, that, that we would have a passion uh, for Him. I remember seeing a billboard in uh, Southern California many years ago, and it was by the good old car company Ford. I can say that because I have one now. Uh, uh, but this Ford billboard had a, uh, uh, had a car on it, and, then it, and it had just simply the words, I want you to want me. And then it had their logo underneath I want you to want me. I believe God is saying that here in His Word. I want you to want me more than anything else in your life. There's a lot of things that people do want more than Christ, though. And so they'll chase those. You know, Paul was, was a man who wanted the Lord and wanted Him intensely. and said, In fact, in verse number 10 it says that I may know Him. You see, His whole purpose in life was to know Christ and then to make Him known to the world around Him. Uh, Paul wasn't the only one, though, that had a tremendous passion for God. I think about David, who is referred to as the man after God's own heart. And here's what he said in Psalm 63 and verse number 1. He said, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee, my soul, Thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. David said, Lord, I, I am so thirsty for you. I am so hungry for you. Psalm 42, David said this. 
He said, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. C.H. Spurgeon commented on this verse in Psalm 42. He said, debarred from public worship, David was heartsick. He did not seek ease, honor he did not covet, but the enjoyment of communion with God was an urgent need of his soul. He viewed it not merely as the sweetness or the sweetest of all luxuries, but as an absolute necessity, like water to a deer, like the parched traveler in the wilderness whose skin bottle is empty and who finds the wells dry. He must drink or die. He must have his God or faint. Does that describe your passion for God? You see, Paul was a man and David was a man. Both of these men were passionate about God and God desires that you and I would also be passionate about him as well. We're instructed in the word of God to pursue of knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as time goes on, we should know more and more about him. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae and he said this, that you might walk worthy of the Lord and do all pleasing being fruitful in every good work, and here it is, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I hope you know more about the Lord than you did yesterday or last year or last decade, that as time goes on, you're learning more and more about Him and you're increasing in the knowledge of God. Peter encourages us to also grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. You see, Peter encouraged us also to know the Lord. And you know, knowing about and knowing are two different things, aren't they? You might know a lot of facts about God. But do you really know who He is? That can only be done through time with Him. That can only be done through getting to know Him and spending time with Him, just like my wife and I. The longer we're together, the more we get to know one another. Uh, occasionally, we'll, we'll find out things that we forgot to share with them uh, from our past. We'll say, I don't know if you ever knew this about me, but I used to, or I did this, or I went here. You see, that, only, that, that comes out by spending time with them. And I want to encourage you and I to spend time with the Lord in our Christian lives so that we can develop this passion for Christ. Now, in this passage here, we see that Paul uh, was desirous to know Jesus Christ and to know three aspects of, of who he is. And I want to look at those very briefly this morning with you. First of all, I want you to see, number one here, that uh, Paul desired to know his power and that we need to desire his power as well. Verse number 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The first part of this chapter in chapter number three, uh, basically Paul uh, got to the conclusion that he didn't have any power on his own. That the things that were gained to him, those he counted loss for Christ. We looked at that last week and that his confidence was in Christ alone. 
You see, he realized that his background, his, his pedigree, and his accomplishments meant absolutely nothing, that they were completely empty. It reminds me of Isaac, Isaac Watts' words when he wrote the wonderful hymn, my favorite hymn, by the way, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. For the verse verse says this, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. And I pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. And this power that Paul so desired uh, to understand and to know in his life was uh, the power of the resurrection of Christ. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now folks, that's tremendous power. It was one thing to heal the sick. It was one thing to make the, the blind to be able to see and the, the, the deaf to be able to hear and the dumb to be able to speak. But there was a whole other thing, my friend. For him to die and to come forth from that grave by his own power. That is the most wonderful display of the power of God throughout history is the resurrection of Christ. That same power is available to you and to me as a believer. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about it. In verse number 19 of Ephesians 1, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? And here it is, to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. The resurrection was a powerful event. And it changed all of our lives. We wouldn't be here this morning had the resurrection not happened. No telling where we'd be. No telling what kind of monsters we would be without the resurrection of Christ. You see, the resurrection of Christ and the power that took place there has changed many lives. I think about even the disciples and how it changed their lives. Do you remember Peter? The one who denied the Lord and went out and wept bitterly. And then it was after the resurrection that Peter went from a defeated man to a devoted man. <coughs> and how God used him to feed the lambs. Remember, he said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Peter indeed went and did that. And, and he preached on the day of Pentecost. And thousands of people were saved and and, and then he went on and, and wrote two books of the Bible. Peter was a man whose life was completely and radically changed because of the resurrection. I think of another man by the name of Thomas. Thomas always has a bad name, doesn't he? Mr. Doubting Thomas. He went from a discouraged and depressed man to a man who uh, fell on his face and said, My Lord and my God, when he saw the, the hands of the resurrected Christ. My life has been changed because of the resurrection. My life has been different because of the resurrection. And Paul wanted the same power as well. What is this power supposed to help me do? It's supposed to help me become rich and, and uh, famous, right? No, that's not why God gives us this power. 
He gives us his power to, to be able to live for Christ in this world and the power to share Christ as well. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8 tells us that uh, we will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon us and we will be his witnesses unto him. You see, God wants, us to give, God wants to give us power in order so that we would be effective witnesses and testimonies for him. Remember Matthew chapter number 28? As he gives the Great Commission, he says in Matthew 28 and verse number 18, he says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So when Paul wanted to know the power of Christ, it wasn't so that he would become you know, rich and famous and that everybody would know his name. No, he wanted to know his power so that he could be effective to make his name known. And do you desire his power to do that? Or is it just power to get more for you? You see, Paul desired the power of God so that God could use him to accomplish the will of God. So first of all, we see here, uh, Paul had a desire to know the power of Christ. And I hope that you have that same desire as well. And then secondly, in this passage, we see Paul's desire for the presence, to know his presence. He says here in verse number 10 again, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And here it is, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. The fellowship of his sufferings. Now, when you're in fellowship, you're in, present, you're in the same presence uh, with them. And Paul understood here that to know Christ's presence means that many times that we will face suffering. When fellowship and suffering here kind of go hand in hand, don't they? In order to really understand the presence of, the, of Christ, you're going to have to understand what it means to experience suffering. Well, that doesn't really sound that fun. Like, I don't really have a passion for that. I don't really have a desire for suffering. And yet that's what it takes to really understand God's presence. Uh. It takes divine strength to suffer for Christ, and that's why the power of his resurrection is put before the fellowship of his sufferings. We need God's power in order to be able to handle the suffering that will come into our life as we live for Christ. You see, well, I don't really like to suffer. I understand. I don't either. But Christ is not asking us to do something that he wasn't first willing to do himself, was he? Because no one experienced suffering like the Lord Jesus experienced suffering. The physical, the emotional, the spiritual suffering that he experienced on the cross of Calvary will, I believe, never be completely understood by mankind. How could we know? We're not, we're not of divine nature. We don't, we don't understand because we're not God. All we know is what it's like to be sinners and to be saved from our sin. But Jesus experienced suffering like no one else. Well, Paul desired that he would know the fellowship of his sufferings. And guess what? Paul got what he wanted, didn't he? His wish came true. 
he got to experience tremendous suffering and he faced probably, uh, well, I don't know uh, in history, but he faced intense suffering like very few people ever have or ever will have, uh, suffer for the, for the cause of Christ. And yet, in spite of all the suffering, I know he rejoiced in the fact that he was counted worthy to suffer for the Lord's sake. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial was to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And I'm sure that Paul uh, had that mentality as he was suffering for the Lord. I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. He didn't love it, but he rejoiced in it. And he, uh, he was thankful to be able to uh, suffer for the Lord's sake. Many of us want God's blessings in our lives, and I do too. And all the good things that maybe some people think that Christians get when they become a Christian. We think our life is going to be easy and wonderful. And yet, unfortunately, for many throughout history, and even many today in different parts of this world, becoming a Christian doesn't equal ease of life. Many times it brings hardship and persecution and suffering. I'm thankful we live in America, and I'm thankful again for those who have provided the freedom that we have. Had it not been for our military, I don't know that we would have, uh, we would be able to say, uh, let's meet at Cornerstone Baptist Church on Sunday morning and, and uh, put it out there and have a sign. We, we, I don't think so. But there are many people in this world who have to meet underground, who have to meet secretly. And being a Christian doesn't equal ease of life. Paul told Timothy that all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not exactly a great advertisement for wanting to live godly in Christ Jesus, is it? But it's a promise and something that I want us to know that, hey, if we're going to live for Christ and we're going to be passionate about Him, uh, potentially we're going to have to experience some suffering. Remember what uh, David said in Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. You know, when you go through those dark valleys, and, and that's when the presence of the Lord is that much more precious to you. Uh, when you're on the mountaintops, it's, uh, you don't really need the presence of God in your mind. But when you're going through those valleys, that's when the presence of God means so much. And Paul said, look, I have a passion for Christ. I desire his power and I desire his presence. And then thirdly here, I desire to know his promise. In verse number 11. Well, in verse number 10, let me kind of back up here before I get too much into this third thought here. Uh, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, Paul desired that he would really ultimately become a martyr for Christ, and, and he did. He was beheaded there uh, in that Roman prison. Okay, and then verse number 11, he says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, and this is a reference to the promise of Christ, that 
Uh, those who are in Christ will be resurrected uh, one day. Paul understood that Christ had promised that there would be a great resurrection someday, and he was so looking forward and longing for that day. Jesus promised in John 14, in verse number 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, oh, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And then he said, look, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Uh, the great promise that Jesus would come back for us and, and uh, resurrect us out of this old body. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Paul later referred to the rapture of the church and. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Both of those have to deal with the fact that one day Jesus is going to come back and uh, those who are dead in Christ are going to rise first and those, who, uh, those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we be ever with the Lord. This is the great hope. Are you ready for that day? Are you longing for that day? Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Paul said this, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. You see, in this verse 11 here, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. You see, Paul wasn't just looking forward to getting out of this old world and being done with the trials and temptations of life. And many times as we talk about the rapture of the church, it's like, Praise the Lord, I can't wait for that to happen. No more bills, no more debt, no more having to pay for gas, no more having to go to the doctor. And while that is a blessing, Paul wasn't just looking forward to getting out of this old world. He was more importantly looking and yearning to be with his Savior for the rest of eternity. You see, he was so in love with Jesus that he couldn't wait to be in his presence. Are you desiring to know his promise to the point where you're longing to be with him for all of eternity. I remember when uh, my wife and I were dating. These were the days before cell phones. These were the days before unlimited talk and text. These were the days before Facebook Messenger and uh, FaceTime. I wish we would have had those in those days, but we didn't. We did have cell phones but uh, cell phone bills were expensive in those days, and you did one of those like 250 minutes for the month. And I remember getting a cell phone bill after my wife and I were dating, and it was very expensive, and I went, uh-oh, I can't do this again. It was in the hundreds of dollars because I had talked to my, my girlfriend for too long. Well, then we did something that I don't know if... You young people are going to understand the verbiage I'm about to use here. But we actually wrote letters to one another on paper. We, we used an actual envelope. Put a stamp on it, an actual real stamp. And then we, we, we took it to the mailman. And then it's a crazy thing, but a few days later, that mailman somehow magically makes that, uh, that letter appear to the other person assuming we had the address right. We did that. We wrote letters to each other. 
And uh, I typed them up on my computer, and I actually saved those files. And a, and a few weeks ago, I was going through some of my old hard drives, and I came across a folder that had some of these letters in it. And I thought, oh, let me look and let me look and see some of these. And so this morning, I have. No, I'm just kidding. She's like, oh no. <laughs> You should have seen the biggest cringe face you've ever seen in your life right then. I'm not going to read one of them because, honestly, as I was reading through these, I was like, man, those were mushy. Man, I was, I was one lovesick dude back in those days. And you know what? I was because I just simply couldn't wait to spend the rest of my life with the love of my life. I couldn't wait to be done with this long-distance communication. I couldn't wait to just be in her presence for the rest of my life. I couldn't wait to just experience life with her by my side and not having to say goodnight or goodbye or we'll see you later. I couldn't wait for those days. Finally, on July 1st, 2000, almost 20 years ago, we said, I do, and we began those days of being together, and I am telling you how sweet it is. Is our marriage perfect? Absolutely not. Mainly because I'm not perfect. Uh, but, but it's been such a wonderful joy to be in her presence to, and to get to know her as time goes on. Friend, in a greater sense, uh, one day we're going to be married to him. And we'll begin our, not just the rest of our lives together, but the rest of our eternity together with Him. Are you longing for Him? Are you kind of lovesick and looking forward to the, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of the just praying and not seeing. I'm tired of just living by faith. I want to live by sight. I, I can't wait to trade this old faith for sight and for it to be real. It is real, but... You know what I mean, to be in his presence for all of eternity. Are you longing for that? Paul sure was. He kept saying, and we've looked at it already in this, in this book. He said, look, I have a desire to depart. Again, not just because, man, living this life is so tough. And it is. It's not that I'm not looking forward to trading all the trials of this life for the glories of heaven. But friend, what Paul was excited about was being in the presence of the one he loved so much, the one he longed for, and that was his dear Savior. I want to encourage all of us to develop a passion for God, that that's us, that we can't wait to be in his presence. We can't wait for the promise to be fulfilled when he comes back for his own. Where are the Christians who would long for the day when they will trade their faith for sight. Okay, so Paul had an obvious passion for Christ. There's no question. But why should I have that same passion for the Lord Jesus? I mean, he was the great apostle, but I'm just me. Well, the answer to that question is simply this. Why should I have a passion for Christ? Because Christ had a passion for you. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3, says, To whom also he, Jesus, showed himself alive after his passion. The last week of Jesus' life before the crucifixion is commonly referred to as the Passion Week. 
You see, Jesus was passionate about fulfilling the will of His Father and about becoming my substitute and your substitute on the cross. And He was demonstrating and proving His passion for you and His love for you when He died on the cross of Calvary. So why should I have a passion for Christ? Because He had a passion for you. Today is Veterans Sunday here at Cornerstone. And we're thankful for those who are willing to lay down their lives for our freedom. But it was Jesus. I want to remind us it was Jesus who laid down his life to provide the ultimate and most important form of freedom. Freedom from the bondage of our sin. And if you're here this morning and you've not been set free from your bondage of sin, I would encourage you to come to Jesus today and be born again. Believe on him, on him alone for your salvation. And since he was passionate about you, friend, can I encourage you to develop a passion for him? In order to do so, I, I mentioned at the beginning that it's going to require some time with him. Some of you may know that my wife and I try to do a date every week. And uh, I know that some who are retired, it's not as important. But for those who have children... It's important to have time together as husband and wife and to keep that, that flame burning. And so we've decided that Monday nights are going to be our date nights, and we try to do that. And, and we've done pretty good since moving here. It's not every Monday, but most Mondays we are out doing something together, just the two of us. It's so important for us to develop that, to keep that passion burning in our marriage but the same thing is true in our relationship with Christ. You can't develop a passion for Christ if you never spend time with Him. If you never open His Word on your own and begin to read and have a relationship and, and read those letters. I mentioned the letters that, that we wrote to each other. Boy, when she wrote me a letter, I didn't just kind of like, oh. No way, man. I took those letters and I kind of carved out some space and I'm like, this is special. This is special girlfriend time. And I read that letter and reread it and read it again and smelled it. And she'd never put perfume in it, but that's okay. I hoped she would one day. That's a little hint. Maybe one day you can do that. But I, I just was reading through it and, and uh, reread it and reread it. And I spent time reading that letter that she wrote me. Friend, God's given us a love letter. Let's read it and reread it and spend time in it. Let's not blow it off as some religious exercise and, and say, I don't have time for that. This is God's love letter to you. Talking to one another. It requires communication. Do you have a time where you regularly communicate with God? Do you have a time where you can pray and spend time talking to Him? Oh, yeah, well, we pray uh, over our meals and thank the Lord for our meals. I'm glad you do. But if that's the extent of your relationship, how would your marriage be if that's all you did? During the meals, thank you for making the meal. Let's eat. Thank you for making the meal. Let's eat. Thank you for making the meal. Let's eat. If that's the extent of your relationship, I'm friend, it's not going to last forever. It's going to be a very difficult one. I would encourage you to spend time developing a passion for the Lord. Even being passionate about serving God 
is good. But just like the story of Mary and Martha, the greatest passion of all is the passion to know Christ and to be at His feet. And it takes time to do that. And sometimes uh, all of us like to do things and we got to accomplish things and we got to be busy and I just can't sit still. Remember the psalmist who said, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes it requires just taking a time out in life or a time out during the day and saying, I need some time with God. I'm going to turn off all the distractions. I'm going to turn off my cell phone. I'm going to go somewhere where it can just be me and the Lord. I would encourage you to do that. But unfortunately, it seems that many Christians want everything else other than to know Christ. One more story and we'll be done this morning. A wealthy man and his son lived and loved to collect rare works of art. These two had everything in their collection from Raphael to Picasso. They would often sit together and admire the great works that they had collected. But when the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous and unfortunately died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and He grieved deeply for his only son. Well, about a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hands. He said, Sir, you don't know me, but I'm the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart, and he died instantly. You know, sir, I wanted to let you know he talked about you often and he talked about your love for art. The young man held out a package, uh, the package he was holding there, and he said, I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I, I think your son would have really wanted you to have this. The father opened the package and it was a portrait of his son painted by the young man. The father stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in in this painting. The father was so drawn to the painting that his eyes welled up with tears. He thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. Oh, no, sir, I, I, I could never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift to you. Please accept it. The father hung the portrait very prominently over his mantle. Every time visitors came to his home, he took them and made a beeline for that picture so that they could see it as well. The man died a few months later, this rich man. There was to be a great auction of his paintings. Many influential people gathered, excited about seeing these great paintings and having an opportunity to purchase one for their collection. On the platform sat the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded his gavel. We will start the bidding with this picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? And there was silence. Then finally a voice in the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous paintings. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? $100? $200? Another voice shouted angrily, We didn't come to see this painting. We came to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts. Go on with the real art. Still, the auctioneer continued. 
the son. The, the son. Who, who will take the son? Finally, a voice came from the very back of the room. I'll give $10 for the painting. It was the longtime gardener of the man and his son. Being a poor man, all he could afford was to offer that $10. Well, we have $10. Who will give me $20? Give it to him for $10. Let's get on to the master collection. Somebody shouted. $10 is the bid. Won't somebody bid $20? The crowd was becoming angry. They weren't interested in this old picture of the sun. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collections. The auctioneer pounded the gavel. Going once, going twice, sold for $10. A man sitting on the second row shouted, Great, finally now let's get on with the collection." The auctioneer laid down his gavel and said, I'm sorry, the auction is over. Well, what about the painting, someone asked. I'm sorry. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal that stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including the other paintings. The man who took the portrait of the son gets everything. God gave his son over 2,000 years ago to die for our sins on a cruel, rugged cross. And much like the auctioneer, his message today is the son. The son. Who, who will take the son? Because you see, whoever takes the son gets everything. And so I would encourage you, Christian brother, Christian sister, stop chasing the other things that this world values so much and develop a passion for Christ. The things that we are passionate about, I mean, we get so into who's going to win this game or who's going to win that game. 30 years from now, it's not going to matter. We, we worry about our, our bank account. A hundred years from now, it's not going to matter. We worry about all the things that everybody in this world worries about, but I'm telling you, let's get our eyes on eternity and develop a passion for Christ because hopefully as a believer, well, as a believer, you're going to spend eternity with Him. So you might want to get to know Him now instead of meeting a stranger when you get to heaven. Who will take the son? Because the son, whoever takes the son, gets everything. Let's bow for prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for Paul's passion for you. No, oh Lord, I pray that you would help us to develop a passion for you. Lord, this world is a very distracting place. There are so many things to do, so many opportunities. And Lord, it, it's all a, a lot of it is a lot of big of, it's a lot of distraction in our lives, keeping us from developing a passion from the greatest person that we could be passionate about, you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us.
to be willing to spend time with you, to be willing to develop that passion for you that will never go away. That I may know you, the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, being made conformable unto, unto death. And Lord, help us to be focused on the, on the promise that you're going to come back for us. Help us to long for the day when we'll trade our faith for sight. 